welcome back to the Dead Red Herring Podcast. I am Roland, and I'm still alone. But next week, Magnus should be back, so we'll be, well, back to our normal shenanigans. Hopefully, at least. So, <clears throat> yeah, what did I have in mind this time? Well, I actually wanted to have a bit of a talk about the disconnect between fans and creators. And what do I mean by fans? Well, I think we need to have a clear definition of the meaning before we go any further, because otherwise it might get a bit messy. But I guess a fan is supposed to be someone that engages in and appreciates certain things like comics, games, movies, and uh, stuff like that. But at the same time, there has been a lot of talking about a real fan versus a not real or a fake fan. So we need to make a distinction between what a real and a fake fan is. And actually, I'm going to do it like this for this episode. If someone calls herself a fan, she is a fan. Because it's a self-given title. And only you can define yourself as a fan to something. Whether that be a game or, or a movie or music or whatever. You, if you say you're a fan, you should be a fan. Because you know best. And there's no, no one that really can say whether or not you're a fan of something. And by looking at it like that, there's nothing to say that someone is a real or a fake fan. Well, at least by this, this definition of it. Although, um, someone actually can have a strong opinion about something without being a fan, and that's also okay. But at that point, you might actually easily call them concern trolls rather than fans. So, but at the same time, someone can be a concern troll and still be a fan if she calls herself a fan. So, with that in mind, uh, I want to take you back to episode one of The Dead Red Herring. And in this episode, me and Magnus were talking about uh, fan influence and how, on one hand, there's a bit of too much of a fan influence. And on the other hand, how fans aren't getting any respect from the creators. So looking back at that conversation... It, I feel like it came off a bit wrong, in my opinion, because right before we recorded, Magnus and I, we actually had a long talk about fanfiction and how some creators just throw themselves under the bus to please a screeching minority, which oftentimes comes with colored hair and an imaginary boogeyman, also talking about diversity. But the point we were trying to make in that episode is that we should have a dialogue between creators and fans. I don't believe that creators should just change everything on the whim of some screamers. That has happened a few times. But neither do I want creators to slam the door in the face of fans and call them names when said fan comes with critique. And we have examples of how both of these extremes have impact and ner- impact and nerdum. Uh, for example, we have the variant cover of Batgirl number 41. And that was a homage to The Killing Joke, which came out in 1988. And it's actually one of the best 
Batman comics I have ever read. And on this variant cover, you have the cover of the Killing Joke, but with Batgirl in it as well. And the Joker's holding her, and he's made this sort of Joker smile on her, and, and Barbara, Batgirl, she looks terrified. And this cover, <laughs> I mean, it, it was really great. And it really captured what came from The Killing Joke, which was awesome. Uh, I mean, it's a, a traumatic experience for Barbara, but the comic was great. So I, I think it was a really great homage. But instead of getting praise for the homage, this sparked such an uproar that the hashtag change the cover was created and trended on Twitter to the point that DC pulled the cover, even though it was a variant cover. So I, I actually think that was a really stupid move because it was, this was actually a big part of her story of her being shot, being put in a, in a wheelchair and then becoming the character Oracle which is one of the most important characters when it comes to the Bat family, in my opinion, because Oracle acted as the central intelligence hub for all of the people of the Bat family. And she gave them up-to-date intel. She could tell them exactly where to go, how to go there, and, and whatever sort of enemies they might, might encounter. And I think it's such a loss that we lost Oracle when the new 52 came into being. And also, if we want to go there, I think that Oracle was actually a pretty good role model or, or a good character for, you know, kids in a wheelchair or, or disabled kids. Because that showed that you don't need to have working legs to be a superhero. So, I mean, the character arc or with Oracle, or Barbara as Oracle, I love that, because it, it really, it really showed that you could build something out of even the darkest obstacles. So, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, really sad. Uh, and also, another example of this kind of outrage is, it was the uh, Spider-Woman cover that many thought was outrageous because it sexualized her and, and put her in an unrealistic pose. And my only thought about that is to go look at Spider-Man and all the poses he's been put in and tell me if you think he's being sexualized. But in the end, well, that cover was also pulled, even though it was a variant cover, as far as I know. So, I mean, there is a problem when a certain group is always listened to when it comes to criticism. And this is actually the first part of episode one, when we were talking about fans having too much influence. This is exactly it. Because, I mean, just because there is something you don't like, that doesn't hurt Continuum, that isn't actually a problem, it's just that it... it impacts your feels. In that case, there is no real reason to change it. So, yeah, th that was the first part. Now, <clears throat> if we're going to the 
other extreme, uh, the other end of the horseshoe, if you want. Um, we have this whole thing with Captain Marvel, and I know it's been done to death already, but it's still a good example. Because anyone who criticizes Captain Marvel is called a misogynist or a toxic man-baby and this and that. And there's no compromise when it comes to concerns of the MCU fans that, you know, have been looking at these movies ever since Iron Man 1. And now it's like it doesn't matter what we say because we have concerns about the way Brie Larson uses this movie, the Captain Marvel movie, as activism and bringing politics into the MCU. And, and we don't want that. We want politics to stay out of it. But instead, she's allowed to go on about how she doesn't want the opinion of white dudes and how we should just stay away, that this movie isn't for us. I mean, come on. When someone actually say, well, well, it's not only Brie Larson saying this, that is not for us. Uh, there are writers for, I think it was Variety, maybe. Anyways, another person saying that this movie isn't for you, it isn't even for her, it's only for kids. And at this point, I'm, <laughs> I feel like, no, you're way wrong on this. Because this movie is part of the MCU. Which means that this movie is made for the fans, or those who enjoy the Marvel Cinematic Movies. If its main focus is for kids, that might be one thing, but just to say that you as an adult, man or, or woman, that you aren't welcome to this movie because you're an adult, that's really stupid. So, I mean, I believe that there is a lot of us that take issue with this politicization of our hobby. In this case, it's movies, but I mean, we have games as well, and we have comics, as already told. And, and we've seen what happens to something whenever the social justice warriors infect it. Because it's only a matter of time before that thing goes and dies. This infection, it ruins so many things the last couple of years that we already can tell what will happen. We know already. I mean, there was a great example just the other day when there were a lot of uh, articles or, or, and links to articles about how, uh, how Disney might actually close down Marvel Comics. And it's from, from what I get, it, it's about how Marvel Comics isn't making any money. And <laughs> that's no big surprise. Because let's take a look at what has happened to Marvel Comics the last couple of years. They had this diversity project. The diversity comics. And it failed so bad. Because nobody bought the comics. And why is that? Well, mainly because the story in the comics was really, really bad. The art was abysmal. You could actually say that the, <laughs> that the art was like so bad, it was like an out-of-control acid trip. <laughs> and also the dialogue was really bad. It, it was this sort of millennial speak. <laughs> and that's that no, you, you can't read that. 
it, it's like only chicks from California, teenage chicks that talks like that. And I guess it's no wonder they talk like that, because where do most of these writers come from? Well, at least as far as I know, they're at least stationed in somewhere in California. Now, I might be way wrong on this, but still, if I'm wrong, prove me wrong, okay? <laughs> hey, I'm from Sweden. I have no idea what happens in the US, neither do I care. And also, another problem with these comics, at least when it comes to criticism, is that they say the reason we don't like these comics is because we can't handle strong women. Which is bullshit. <laughs> we know it's bullshit, but they they need to have some kind of scapegoat. Because it couldn't be that, you know, they are unable to perform. But, so yeah. Not we're just hate, hating man babies. But it, it isn't only Marvel. This is something that goes for DC as well, because they also might be shutting down because people aren't buying their stuff. And it's the same thing again. It's the SJW infection. Because th this infection makes everything agenda-driven politics and non not entertaining stories. So it's no wonder it just fails. But the greatest victim of all of these is Lucasfilm and Star Wars. Because this magnificent thing that was built on a foundation of three great movies and years and years of fan contribution into the expanded universe is now more like the Hindenburg, like seconds after it ignited. It's going up in a ball of flames. And after The Last Jedi, I don't really see any other way to fix this than scrubbing the Disney sequels. And just start again with something new. Like, start something new. New heroes not related to the Skywalker saga. Because if you look at it, th there's so much possibilities. The, the Star Wars universe is really big. Just look at the expanded universe. There's so many stories. So much places that you could actually have stories in. That you don't need to go anywhere near the Skywalker saga. and. It also could be as far back as in the Old Republic. Or it could be, I don't know, say 50 years into the future, or even more. But just do something more and keep it within the continuum. That's the main thing. And that's all we ever said about The Last Jedi. Just that we want you to respect the original trilogy and to respect the continuum. Which Ryan Johnson did not do. He broke the continuum. He broke the established rules within Star Wars. We had established characters, in this case, both Luke and uh, Han, in my opinion. Both were broken. Especially Luke, because the Luke that we saw grow from a farm boy, more or less, on Tatooine into a Jedi Master. He took a long way to get there, but he did so by strife. He did so by training. He did so by both joy and sadness. It, it, that was a real hero's journey. But what we have now is a Mary Sue called Ray. She can suck knowledge out of someone's head by looking at them, and 
she knows how to use a lightsaber after you after just having it in her hand for five seconds. There is no hardship. There there is no strife. There is no training. There is nothing that say that she should be able to do this. But but what makes me really annoy the most is how she's able to fix the Millennium Falcon when neither Han nor Shui could do it. And these are the two characters that should know this ship inside and out better than the back of their hand. And that is my strongest argument that she is a Mary Sue because it took her five seconds to find a solution to a problem that the two people that should be able to do it couldn't do. So, just when it comes to Star Wars, I just hope that if we could put the politics aside and focus on the story again, then maybe we could actually get back to the point where Star Wars was great. And, and no matter who does it, how they do it, as long as they respect both the continuity and the fandom. I think we could actually get Star Wars back on track. That's my hope, at least. Because the real issue here, besides just breaking continuity and stuff like this, is that the schism between fans and creators is so great right now that, sure, you you could argue that creators do listen to fans uh, if we look at how many people enjoy the new Star Wars movies. But I don't really see that as communicating with, with fans, because real communication is, it should have been either Kathleen Kennedy or Ryan Johnson going out of the way to talk to people, saying, okay, you didn't like this. Why didn't you like it? And what would you want to see changed? Now, this maybe wouldn't change what happened in The Last Jedi, but it would have changed the look on the sequel tri- trilogy as a whole, I think at least. But instead... What we got was a truckload of caca thrown at us for having the nerve to criticize the almighty Mary Ray and called man babies because we didn't enjoy the subversed expectations of Luke being a sad hermite that only wanted to drink his milk for the day. I mean, we are the disrespectful ones for not enjoying the plate of sad undercooked excuse of story that completely trashed the established continuum on both the world and characters. So, I mean, there's no wonder that Star Wars fans are pissed. And this is the, the real issue. You have things like this that just cre- creates the great divide between fans and creators. But, but other than just creators, you also have the critics, the, the mainstream professional critics. Now... I've already talked about my distrust of critics, which I did in the last episode. But ironically, though, just days after I released the last episode, this whole thing with Rotten Tomatoes uh, removing the do not want, don't want to see button and the comments, <laughs> you had that whole chabacle. And at the same time, there were so many trolls screaming out loud how we were slamming down on Captain Marvel and stuff like that. Review bombing, which was interesting because we couldn't do a review bombing since the movie isn't out yet. But anyways, so, I mean, of course, the main, the leading theory behind 
Rotten Tomatoes removing this button is that they don't want it to um, to display the abysmally low interest to see Captain Marvel. Now, so whether that is true or not, uh, I can only speculate. But, I mean, it's a fun conspiracy, if nothing else. But if it comes to the point that Captain Marvel actually fails, I do hope that it is because of genuine lack of interest in the general population rather than any form of boycott. Now, we're going to get shit for it either way, but it still will make a great statement on how people don't want to have politics in their entertainment. Now, speaking of ideological wrongthink, the NPCs that were blaming us for the so-called review bombing, they say it was because men are threatened by strong women. But at the same time, there was no reaction about how these same men seem to love Alita. None whatsoever. And it's no wonder, since it doesn't really fit into their narrative. Instead, it's been the other way around, with attacks on Alita. Like uh, the sexualized body fiasco from Screen Rants. And a lot of the same people who, who are deeming the movie a bust. As well, because it didn't perform enough in the U.S. box office. However, outside of the United States, Alita has made a pretty decent penny. Actually, at the moment, the data from Box Office Mojo say that the movie has made over $350 million, And that's a total. And with a production budget of $170 million, I think that they've actually covered both production and marketing at this point. And, I mean, the movie's still going. It's gonna draw even more money, I think. So this is actually a major victory in my book. And lo and behold, it has a strong female lead. Now, who would funk it? It's because this is the deal. Alita had a great story. It had great, it had great characters. And it had no politics. This was just what the greater audience wanted. And add to that, that the movie was respectful to the source material, both manga and anime, and also that they've been really respectful to the fans and audience. Hell, they've even made stuff to help people that use prosthetics. And that's the kind of thing that we want to see more of. This is great. Keep it up. And I say, no, okay, so. Leaving movies, I actually want to talk a bit about the problem with gaming. The same problem that is within gaming. But before I can do that, I need to address the diverse elephant in the room. And the reason I do this is because I want to make it clear that I have no problem with natural diversity. And what I mean by this is the kind of people that they are what they are no matter what they might be or, or stuff like that. If, if it's a person of color or, or if it's a gay or, or whatever. I mean, people being who they are without shoving it down your throat. That, that's the natural diversity. And it's just so annoying having to go over this again and again because 
the SEW squad want to have forced diversity. And that is the kind that is shoved down your throat and you're told to swallow without objection. It's the kind that goes by some intersectional hierarchy and a checklist that just say, Look, we are so diverse! And then they act just like total dicks when someone say, say anything about it. And it doesn't help anyone. I, I can't say that I believe anyone feels really included by having stupid token characters just because of diversity. I mean, if you can't write a character without the need to point out how diverse that character is, I think it's a pretty shitty character, and you should stop. But if you have a natural character that can be diverse without ever saying a word about it, that's good. As long as it's a well-written and individual character that doesn't have anything to prove, that's the kind of diversity we can look at and say, yeah, this is good. You don't tell us to like a character, you make us like it going through good writing. And if you can't do that, either get good or put down the pen. Okay, so, okay, now, going over to gaming. Gaming has had as much problems with the connection between creators as fan as movies and comics have. But maybe not just as toxic as, well, maybe movies and comics. But it's still bad enough. I think the best example of this is the handling of EA and DICE with the whole Battlefield 5 situation. Uh, especially I'm thinking about Patrick Söderlund that call critics of Battlefield 5 uh, uneducated and he say, him saying that if you don't like it, don't buy it. Which I think a lot of people also did since Battlefield 5 sold pretty bad if we <laughs> to look at the data. And this practice of shaming and demeaning players, it's bad for business. And at the same time, the big publishers, they keep pushing for more loot boxes and microtransactions in their products just so they can make more cash for investors. And, and you should know that there is none of the income from microtransactions that goes to the developers. It goes right to the company, and the company gives it to either stockholders or the top brass as bonuses. Because it's all about the profit margin. Programmers, developers, and everything, everything they don't see a dime of that. They have their salary. They won't get any bonus because of the microtransactions. And this practice, it has been really, it has been really lucrative for these companies. And still, we have Activision Blizzard laying off 800 people because they didn't reach expected levels of profit. All this, mind you, while having more or less a record year in income because of microtransactions. So, I mean, this only goes to show how big companies are more interested in getting money and not in delivering good products. The only exception, maybe, it could be Nintendo, but I, that's a whole different story. Mostly I'm thinking about the CEO cutting his own salary so that they didn't have to uh, fire anyone. And mm, Yes, that was a great example. I love that. Now that's solidarity. But another thing that damages the relationship between players and creators 
is things like banning or blocking reviewers that point out negative aspects in a game. EA has been notorious in this practice, and while I can understand that you don't want to have reviewers say negative things about your AAA title, I think the better course of action would actually have been to take the criticism to heart and make changes accordingly. Because trying to hide the bad stuff will only make players go away even faster. I mean, look at Fallout 76. Time and time again they have made a mess and likewise try to lay the blame on everyone else but themselves. It's been one scam after another, in my opinion. I mean, last thing I heard, players that have been playing for hundreds of hours get banned and accused of cheating. I mean, come on! How would you feel if you spent, I don't know, three, four hundred hours playing a game and suddenly you're banned because, oh, someone thinks you're cheating? That's not cool. And also, what kind of treatment of players is that to always suspect everyone of cheating? I mean, sure, there's been a lot of people that have been cheating. But just because one have doesn't mean everyone does it. And, and I'm not even going to go into their policy of microtransactions and overpriced for stupid, non-essential things. So, yeah, it's just a mess. But when it comes to the division within gaming, the worst offenders of this, it has to be the game journals. And this is the deep end of it all. Because ever since 2012, these so-called journalists have proven again and again that they don't care about games. They only care about pushing their politics. I can say that ever since the Gamers Are Dead articles, I have actively avoided sites like Polygon, Otaku, Destructoid, and actually any kind of mainstream gaming news outlet, because they all have the SJW infection. Eurogamer came out and said that, no, we don't care about games, we care about politics. And in that case, you shouldn't be a gaming site. You just stop. If you want to do politics, go over to politics. Get the fuck out of gaming. And the, this is the main issue with it. They push an agenda, and I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to have these things shoved at me all the time when I go to look at some gaming news. And all it does is just actively deepen the divide in the nerdom. And I am so goddamn tired of it. But, so what can we do to fix this? Well, first off, stop pushing ideology. Whether it be a movie, a game, a comic, just leave the real-world politics by the door. The politics in the product should be a part of that setting, or the world narrative without a blunt finger pointing at a sign saying, Orange Man Bad. I mean, stories can be made to be allegories about the real world without it being some sort of co copy-paste of real live events. And all it takes is a bit of creative writing and a bit of imagination. Another part that, that I think could actually make things better is to understand that critique is not an attack. It is not abuse and it is not slander. Critique is 
what can help a creation grow and become better. It's not to say that something should just change because of, but taking the audience's opinion aboard might actually help getting somewhere instead of just smearing and name-calling all the time. If something is shit, you don't call it art. If something breaks established continuity, it breaks the whole thing. You need to respect the source material, and you need to respect fans and be open to criticism. That way, we might find a way back to a whole nerdom, and that is actually what I want. I want to go back to the time where I could go out and talk gaming or, or uh, movies with whoever on the street, and, and was the only thing interesting to talk about was that thing the movie or, or the comic or, or the game and nothing about how uh, how demeaning a certain thing was to women or, or how it portrayed a certain minority in, in a bad light or stuff like that. It, it, no, I just want to talk about the game, the, the, the story in the game, the mechanics in the game, how, I, how the controls feel, stuff like that. I don't want to have a discussion about minority representation in a zombie survival shooter because someone thought that it was demeaning to someone somewhere that, that's just stupid so yeah i've been going on for a while i hope i didn't tire you <laughs> by doing another rant like this but i want to hear what you think do you have any ideas how to mend the divided nerdom? Do you have any ideas on what changes we could make to actually get the good feeling back into our hobby? Send me a message. I'm on Twitter. Uh, shitposting. Trying to, at least. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm doing a good job at it. But, um, yeah, send me a message. I'm always down to talk on, on Twitter. Um, and uh, also, what else? Yeah, sh- check out um, our other episodes. You can find them on most places where you can find podcasts. I will upload a couple of more YouTube videos soon. Uh, it just it has a lower priority because of reasons. Uh, yeah, and to all you new subscribers. I am super happy to have you here. I am very, very thankful for you to actually wanting to hear me and Magnus ramble on about insignificant, insignificant stuff. And yeah, I just hope that you enjoy our content. And again, if you want to say something about our things, give us critique. Do anything. <laughs> Make your voice heard. So yeah, Uh, and with that, I'm going to say thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great day. Bye now. (sighs) Okay.